Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizian Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. The COVID-19 pandemic disrupted almost every sector imaginable in healthcare, especially pharmacy practice. Dr. Julie Cunningham, Associate Chief Pharmacy Officer of Clinical Practice at Mayo Clinic Midwest Region, and Dimitri Walker, Assistant Director, Pharmacy Oncology and Investigational Drug Services at West Virginia University Medicine, are here today to discuss stopping and starting pharmacy services due to COVID. I'm your program host, Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director with the Vizian Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. This episode was recorded at ASHP Midyear. Welcome, Julie and Dimitri, to Verified Rx. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, Gretchen. Let's start by learning a little bit about your backgrounds and roles at your organizations. I'm Julie Cunningham. I'm the Associate Chief Pharmacy Officer at Mayo. I do have responsibilities related to the Midwest region. That's Rochester, our larger academic medical campus, which is nearly 2,000 licensed beds, as well as our ambulatory care practices. And then our Midwest areas include two community hospitals in Wisconsin, two in Minnesota, and then several critical access hospitals. I'm a graduate of the University of Iowa. I went on to get my PharmD from Creighton several years later. Spent most of my career at Mayo, over 30 years now. Part of the time I was in clinical practice, I moved through various different areas. I had an interest in psychiatry, so I worked in the inpatient areas. And then I ended up starting some ambulatory care practices in psychiatry. That led me into the chronic pain rehabilitation program, where I started down the path of opioid stewardship and working with patients with chronic pain and opioid tapering. Since that time, I've moved into different leadership positions as a pharmacotherapy coordinator, later renamed a senior clinical manager. I was the director of clinical practice for our Rochester campus and now fairly new in this role as associate chief pharmacy officer. Thank you. Dimitri, how about you? I'm going to try to do my best to follow that wonderful introduction. In my role as Assistant Director of Oncology and Investigational Drug Services at West Virginia University Medicine, I'm anchored at the academic flagship hospital in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is an around 800-bed hospital. We just opened our brand new Pete's Tower, which we grew about 150 beds through that. And on that campus, my team has a robust presence around all the oncology space. So I oversee all of our clinical specialists, both on the inpatient side and in all of our ambulatory care clinics, as well as our outpatient infusion operations for pharmacy and our investigational drug trials team that supports both oncology and non-oncology infusions. I completed my pharmacy school training at The Ohio State University, and then I became a Badger and completed my HSPAL residency training at University of Wisconsin prior to coming to WVU Medicine, where I've been practicing for about three and a half years at this point. Some of the major opportunities that I've had the pleasure to work through are the ever-growing need in oncology specialized pharmacists and the care that we provide. In the last three years, we've more than doubled our volume for clinics and infusion visits. With that, we've more than doubled our oncology clinical specialist presence. We've also had the wonderful opportunity to start systemizing across the region. We're now up to 22 hospitals that are part of WV Medicine, and more than half of those do offer oncology services to patients. We're very proud of that because it's our aim to bring care closer to home, but it also leads itself to a lot of challenges, both with setting up operations correctly and make sure everybody's compliant with USP at places where maybe they haven't done hazardous preparations before. And then how do we 
stretch our clinical oncology expertise and pharmacy support to places that may not be able to sustain a dedicated pharmacist or may not be able to recruit a pharmacist or area that can't compete with the bigger centers around the country. Thank you for your backgrounds. I know Vizient did a member survey to try to understand the impacts of COVID-19 on pharmacy practice. Dimitri, tell me a little bit about the background of that. Julie and I have the pleasure of working together as part of the Vizian Wonderful Pharmacy Network on the PDW committee. One of the major projects that we undertook this past year is to survey the committee, seeing how COVID has been changing our day-to-day lives. Where have we seen the changes in practice where maybe we used to be doing things one way and now we no longer do them at all or differently? And then do we have the opportunity to start something new that if COVID didn't happen, we would have never gotten to do so? We worked on putting together the survey together with a subgroup on the committee earlier this year. We sent it out to the committee early this fall in 2022. We had a really good response that's representative of centers around the country. And then Julie did some wonderful work in analyzing the results. We're excited to hopefully publish an infographic that summarizes those. That's great. I look forward to hearing a little bit more about it. Julie, can you tell me more about the focus of the survey? We focused on three different areas. The first one was hiring or interviewing practices. What's changed in that area? Most of us had to pivot and do our interviews in a virtual manner. Our curiosity and question really was, are we still doing that? Are we back to in-person interviews? We wanted to know from a pharmacist perspective as well as a pharmacy technician. We had 35 different centers from across the country that responded. What we found is that most of the pharmacists interviewing is virtual still. Either 100% or a component of it remains virtual, although some do offer options to do in-person or virtual. Technicians, a little bit different. For our technicians, we see most of those tend to be more in-person with maybe an option for virtual in those as well. So that was an interesting finding related to the hiring and interviewing. The next area that we were looking at was did staffing needs increase, decrease? Have they returned to normal? For our institution specifically, when COVID hit, we decreased staffing. We had some pharmacists that were out on voluntary furloughs, and then all of a sudden practice started to ramp up again. And then we got to those stages where we were in surges and we had to have more. So where are we at now? Those are the questions we were trying to understand again with pharmacists and technicians. Some of the answers that we found were that most sites were back to what their baseline was for staffing needs and hours. But we're seeing a shift. We've seen the technician shortage hit during this time, seen a shift for pharmacists having to jump into technician roles. We've seen the burnout, the need to create some interesting and creative work-life balance schedules, such as a seven-on, seven-off type of a schedule. And then the third and last area that we surveyed in was related to communication and technology. And the communication was more around how do we communicate to our teams in our large all staff meetings? Are those back to being in person? Are we still doing the smaller team meetings virtual or in person? And we're hearing that the large all staff meetings are primarily all virtual now. More people can join easier from different spaces as well. But the smaller team meetings tend to be back to in person but the option for virtual that didn't exist before is continuing to happen to improve that access to them. And then the technology side that we asked questions about related to remote work, that's really an interesting area of curiosity. And pivoting with COVID, we had a lot of pharmacists that were working remotely doing that clinical work, and we were giving that ability to do that through boards of pharmacy. Unfortunately, some of the barriers to continuing to do that have been board of pharmacy restrictions, as well as some 
technology that different institutions might not be able to support. But we heard interesting scenarios where we're still seeing some clinical work that remains remote. That's been a satisfier. In the larger areas where remote work continues and is seen as more in that pharmacy administrative area where it may be 100% still for some areas or a hybrid approach. Julie, I think that was a great summary and the small sample of institutions we talked about. And as I think about our experience at W Medicine as well is number one on the technician side, we're dealing with a major shortage and COVID just exponentially expedited how that impacts patient care, unfortunately. For those of you who reviewed the ACHP National Survey of Pharmacy Practice and Hospital Settings from 2021 that just got published earlier this year, it highlights that from the respondents that about 75% of folks are citing a technician shortage in entry-level technician positions. For health systems, over 80% are citing a shortage for experienced technicians, and almost 95% are citing a shortage in experienced technicians with IV compounding experience. When I looked at those results and I looked at the results for our survey, what really stood out to me as well is we were rolling back services that our technicians were doing just because we were struggling with staffing. So we had folks who've reported changing their delivery schedules. All of that got changed. As we think about where's pharmacy practice going, when you overlay that with the virtual aspects, is our pharmacists in certain areas are also going more remote. We have this double squeeze of our front-facing folks. Our technicians are not there anymore. And then we also have pharmacists in certain areas other than ambulatory clinics who are also getting a little bit more removed. That worries me how the profession will be seen in the future if we lose that aspect of being right there, working hand-in-hand with our physicians, with our patients who have come to appreciate what pharmacy services provide for them. Great job to both of you and the PDW team in bringing forth these insights to the membership through this survey work. I really want to thank you for that. We're three years into the pandemic at this point. How have your practices been impacted, you know, really starting from the beginning? When COVID hit, we had to be very agile and pivot and move people away from the front line. We had pharmacists that were used to doing daily rounds with the service and we're not doing rounds anymore. We were doing them remote through Zoom. So we all had to learn Zoom. But then the volumes of our patients were so low. And at some point we did ask for voluntary furloughs in our institution. But then come June of 2020, all of a sudden practice started to ramp back up and people that were expecting to be on furlough for two months were saying, hey, can you come back? Some surges in our ICU practice. We had to identify other areas for these patients. We had to identify pharmacists that weren't necessarily trained as critical care pharmacists, but had some experiences that we could add some training and get them in that coverage area. We've just maintained this high level of patient care and the acuity of patients have really increased, leading to the stress and burnout that many of our pharmacists have begun and continue to feel. We moved into that technician shortage stage. So it feels like it's one thing after the other and we just continue to have to adjust and pivot. Now with the RSV increases and surges in our pediatric population, that's another area that was slower to come back to being more full volumes at our institution. And our pharmacists and technicians in those areas weren't used to that higher workload. And now they're getting hit with that very high workload. That's certainly some of the where we were at and 
where we are now. Some of the changes that we've made, we've continued to have some of the virtual areas that we've learned from, and that may be in med reconciliation, where one area in particular are pre-surgical patients. We would always try to catch the patients before they went into surgery, very busy surgical morning. We're trying to squeeze in a medication history. Sometimes didn't always have that happen. With COVID, we pivoted to a virtual call in advance. We started with cold calls, wasn't as successful, and then we built calendars where patients were expecting that call. And it's been a really successful process, and we've learned to work with nursing to be able to document that when they see the patients come in. The other thing that was interesting that we did, we developed a new role for a manager of emergency preparation and response. We had an individual that was part of the things that he did, and it was more of a side job, but COVID made us realize that this was a full-time job and it wasn't changing. It wasn't slowing down. It was one thing after the other. We were very fortunate last year. We've had this position now for a year to be able to get that additional FTE to support future needs related to emergency response or to help us to continue to be prepared in the future. I'd like to supplement that with is a little perspective on outpatient and oncology specific kind of things. A lot of folks will agree on in the oncology world, COVID had a different impact in the sense that we'd never lost the volume. But we really at first had to figure out now that we see that patients are still coming, but we're trying to protect both patients and staff from a potential exposure and really detrimental outcomes for folks who are walking around with suppressed immune systems. There was a big push to pull people away from working in person and working virtually. We actually did that for about a month with our clinical specialists in oncology, and we found that does not work well. The physicians wanted them back, the patients wanted them back, and the pharmacists wanted to be back in person to be able to do their job effectively. We were fortunate in our region, maybe more than others, that we didn't have multiple really bad spikes. We felt pretty comfortable coming back soon with my team, which worked out really well for patient care. On the technician side, I think there was a lot of worry, again, up front and making sure that we're able to maintain staff, both whether they get sick and they can't work, and then we have no one to replace doing their operational activities. And then also what happened across the country with a lot of technicians looking for jobs elsewhere that were starting to be more competitive with pay and were less stressful jobs that required less training. What worked well for us is technicians that were specifically dedicated to those higher level functioning things, such as oncology, hazardous compounding, such as our leads and our folks who work closely with our supply chain team, they were really actually appreciated having that connection to patient care that really kept them rooted and they wanted to stay there. We did have to work with HR in some cases where folks got offers where pay was a bit better, but they really wanted to stay and make that happen. I highlight that because a lot of folks are struggling right now with maintaining our technician workflow for those same challenges. And we have to be able to build a pathway for them to elevate their practice to a level where we can hook it onto something that helps us give them a reasonable pay that they're able to to have a quality career with. On the pharmacist end, the one thing I'm also seeing after COVID is it's no secret to everybody that with how quickly oncology is expanding and how complex patient care is, a lot of pharmacists have been dealing with burnout for a number of years now. Unfortunately, COVID has expedited the exodus of pharmacists out of those specialized clinical areas. I'm seeing a couple of reasons in addition to just the heavy patient care burden that's always been there. A lot of folks really appreciate the day-to-day patient interaction and the interaction with 
with their teams and that kept them rooted versus taking roles that are maybe a little bit more virtual based with manufacturers or other non-patient care focused roles. Because COVID changed our lives to a point where we unfortunately lost some of that camaraderie where people were hanging out more after work, even if it was at work, spending more time together and the patient care aspect got more complicated. I think some people were comfortable making the leap. That's happening across the country and that's something that our leaders are really going to have to figure out how to do well to bring back those things that we all lost a certain degree during COVID and are hard to bring back now that we're more used to virtual meetings. Even though now we are here physically in Las Vegas at mid-year, but we go home and most of our meetings are still virtual. We've lost that aspect of being able to work together face-to-face on big projects and I think that's something to really think about. Being in person brings so much joy to people, and especially when you haven't had that experience for so long. The more that we can figure out ways to keep our teams engaged with each other, that's where we're gonna be successful and keep them in those practices, whether we're talking about pharmacists or technicians, how can we keep them really at the forefront of what they wanna do, connected with their colleagues, virtual meetings with that cognitive fatigue that we all feel all day long, that is really stressful and something that we need to intersperse the in person with the virtual. Take advantage of what virtual has helped us benefit from, but not move so far away that we lose that human component. Really insightful from both of you. Thank you so much for that. And I also want to echo back a common theme that we've been hearing on the podcast lately, which is about rooting the work that we do as pharmacists and pharmacy technicians in that direct patient care perspective and how that enhances the job satisfaction and does positively impact retention from that perspective. What other shifts in staffing or hiring have you seen? Outside of losing experience clinician to other opportunities, another shift that we're continuing to see, and this is supported by data across the country, is we're now graduating less pharmacy students. I'm really excited and proud of the fact where we went as a profession to create more and more residency programs to feed the clinical need for pharmacist expertise. I think we're starting to see over the last three years, and I'm really curious to see how the match rate is going to go this year. We're getting to that one-to-one ratio. If you look just at that, that may be reassuring in the sense that we're able to match every person that's interested in completing residency training. What worries me is that over the last two to three years, our pharmacy school enrollments have dropped down in many schools to 50% if you look at the P1 classes. So what that means is we're only four years away from potentially only being able to fill half of our residency programs that are out there. If we get to that place, we're going to be in uncharted waters. In the last few years, we've seen an increase in our new pharmacist hires or new residents coming on board with their ability to pass some of the state law exams. And even NAPLEX recently, there's a correlation with what Dimitri was talking about with the schools having decreased enrollments. I think some of the educational standards for the schools are also decreasing. That's something that worries me as we move into the future. It's not just hard to find and match a resident, but then what if that resident is not able to actually complete the legal requirements for pharmacist status within the state. And then that impacts your staffing within your structure because we depend on our residents to staff our schedule. Sounds like quite a bit of work still to be done. You had mentioned a little bit about RSV and some of the other respiratory pathogens. At the beginning of the pandemic, we shifted resources away from some of the pediatric services because they weren't necessarily needed in the community at that time and shifted those to adult care. And how that's bringing new challenges now that we're seeing a surge of RSV and influenza in the pediatric population. Is that consistent with your experience at your organizations? 
Not really. We did see lower numbers volume patient-wise for our pediatric pharmacy teams, and we did shift those individuals, but we didn't shift them permanently. We shifted them to help in our vaccination clinics. That was very common for them to be helping with that type of work. But then as volumes for pediatric came back, we moved them back into those areas. So we're not necessarily seeing the pain points there, but definitely the increase in patient volume for them is a concern that we have. On our end, we're in a unique situation as we're building a Pete's Hospital as the pandemic was happening. And we actually just opened it earlier this year and right before the RSV wave hit. Having prepared for the Pete's Hospital opening and having some delays in construction because of the COVID supply chain issues has allowed us to actually have additional staffing that was already hired. And we were able to use them for things that are not yet pediatric focused. We had additional pharmacy technicians who were helping compound for our main adult hospital until the hospital was opening. So that was a saving As the wave hit, luckily we opened the hospital right before it did, so we were still overwhelmed, but in a much better spot than we would have been had we not opened the hospital. So how can we learn from where we've been through this process, through this experience? One of the biggest takeaways, as I think back to the point of when we really were feeling the pain points of pharmacy technician shortages, is that we did not value our pharmacy technicians like we should have. That is a good takeaway for us. We weren't well prepared at that point, and I believe most organizations are working hard to rectify that. We've developed a technician lattice structure so that technicians can move through that lattice gain greater pay, greater incentives without actually moving from one job to another. That is one of the things where we shoot ourselves in the foot, where we create new positions and then people move from one to the other. And then our entry level positions continue to have those shortages and needs. With our lattice, we're able to have people continue in their same role, but to move up through that different structure through the different components that they do. Valuing our technicians is huge. Continuing to look for opportunities for them to help be a part of that patient care team and ensure that they're well recognized as the allied healthcare professional that they are. We learned from the pandemic and we have to continue learning. On the pharmacist end, the landscape has certainly changed. Folks who were tired but were doing really important patient care work are now tired and also ready to take that leap away from patient care because of how even their day-to-day lives change. They've reprioritized. We need to be able to adjust for that. How do we re-engage those clinicians who want to get joy out of their work from some higher level functions? We're actually starting to talk about how do we build a career ladder for our clinicians who were never ready to make the big jump from letting go of all patient care and jumping into leadership, but want to lead project work and quality improvement, not just in addition to what they already do with 100% of their FTE being dedicated to patient care and really not having any other time to do that, but with having some protected time to really focus on those areas. That's key for us, especially in areas with high burnout rates such as oncology. We're hearing the same thing. We're working towards the same type of effort. Pharmacists are interested in those things. They want to develop professionally, but they also don't want to have to spend hours and hours of their own discretionary time to get there. So how can we support them better within the current structure that we have, allow for some protected time within a day or specific days related to that, depending on the work that they're interested in doing? If I could add a positive note, what COVID has taught us to do well is value our staff and be flexible with them 
them when we can. A lot of our staffs are dealing with childcare issues that started in COVID and unfortunately still like we're not at a normal level yet. We were very quick to be flexible there and allow folks to have felt flexibility to work from home. What the reality also is, is I think as folks started reprioritizing what's important in life for them because of COVID, they're no longer as willing to say, I'm going to stay at work later and spend less time with my family to do this, that, or the other, because unfortunately a lot of our folks have even lost family members sooner than anybody expected. We do have to figure out a way to engage them in their work activities beyond just continued patient care that has really overwhelmed a lot of our more experienced workforce. Well, you're both identifying some unique opportunities as we move forward. Where do you think things will go in the future? I always like to be optimistic about the future because the pharmacy profession has been resilient throughout many decades. We've had to deal with a lot of different staff shortages in the past. We've had to also learn how to grow our profession from what used to be relatively siloed areas of expertise to at many health systems now having a seat at the table in all patient care related decision making. We definitely have what it takes to get there. We have to start working more collaboratively across the board to figure those things out. We're at a spot where We have treatments for disease states that we haven't had treatments for in the past. We're at a spot where we're able to offer services that are continuous in care, where our clinicians are able to document in the AHR, see the patient, treat the patient on site, but then as the patient continues to get care at home or closer to home at a different region, that care is now very much well aligned. Clinicians are up to date with everything that's going on and the patient is benefiting from better outcomes. I can see how impactful that is for our clinicians. I can see how impactful it is for our patients how much they value the profession. That unfortunately sometimes gets lost in all the minutia of what we need to do with all these external challenges that come our way. If we're able to focus on how to leverage becoming more efficient and taking that additional work off of our front line facing staff who face patients, but build both technology resources and people resources that are focused on dealing with things such as shortages that COVID also, we didn't even talk about this, but just how much our pharmacists have had to deal with being creative around shortages with access to care because of whether it's barrier barriers or affordability barriers. Unfortunately, in current state, all of that falls on frontline clinicians in most areas. And I keep coming back to this. I think those frontline clinicians are saying, this is not what I want to do day in and day out. I can do a lot more that's impactful for our patients. I encourage everybody to work together to figure out how we can centralize in a, a lot of those functions and how can we leverage our resources within our health systems to show the value for those things. We talk a lot about our own burnout, but of course, clinicians have been feeling that burnout. There's an opportunity for us in our future as we are able to support provider burnout. There is a role for a pharmacist and we're recognizing that value of how the pharmacist supports the provider in their practice, offloads work from them, allows them to see patients and do the things that they love that can decrease their stress and burnout. And it improves our stress and burnout because we're getting to be involved in that patient care instead of doing some of the minutiae things that really are not the top of our license. Technicians play a huge role in that too. We need to get our technician workforce up to where it needs to be so that we can continue to advance their training and efforts so that they're backfilling the pharmacist so the pharmacist can backfill the provider and we can just really continue to move forward in the future into these new roles. It's exciting. I appreciate the optimism from both of you as pharmacy leaders. That's really important. And thank you both so much for that. And thank you for being here with us today. We appreciate your expertise and experience and insights into this issue. Please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. 
Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.